Coming up this evening on NTD Business. As oil prices stay stubbornly high, a Senate committee passes a bill to pressure the OPEC oil cartel. The Biden administration wants it to increase production. A group of organizations are pressuring Twitter's advertisers to boycott the platform if Twitter makes certain changes. Elon Musk is asking who's backing the groups. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying Biden's pandemic spending did contribute to inflation, but she says it was justified. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. After the Biden administration released much of America's oil reserves in an ambitious bid to flood the market with oil to bring down prices, it now has to replenish those reserves case of a real emergency. The buyback will be spread out over years, but unless prices come down between now and then, the government will likely pay much more for the new barrels than the ones they just released. Oil is historically expensive right now, and the government's purchases will only push prices higher. Nevertheless, the Energy Department announced a buyback plan today, where the government will seek bids to buy 60 million barrels of crude oil. That'll refill about one-third of what's already been released. Be the first time since the early 2000s that the Energy Department has acquired large quantities of oil for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Back then, a barrel of oil cost between $25 and $30 versus the $110 you pay today. In late March, Biden announced the biggest ever release of U.S. oil reserves, about 1 million barrels a day for half a year. It's an effort to drive down prices, what he called a wartime bridge. Some analysts, though, were skeptical of the impact given the U.S. alone consumes 20 million barrels per day versus the 1 million released. Instead of encouraging domestic production, the president has asked the international oil cartel OPEC to increase its production to help bring prices down. OPEC, though, so far, not agreeing to do that. Now the Senate Judiciary Committee has passed a bill that would allow the U.S. government to sue OPEC. So should the cartel be worried? Anthony's fake quarter has more. The Senate Judiciary Committee just passed a bill called NOPEC, which would open up OPEC to U.S. lawsuits. OPEC is an international cartel of 13 countries, which collude to control oil supply and impact oil prices. It produces around 40% of the world's crude, and it has around 80% of the world's oil reserves. OPEC's decisions can sometimes raise prices in the United States. It's really kind of the Senate and Congress in general just trying to say, hey, we're, we're trying to do something about this. Denton Cinquagrana is the chief oil analyst at the Oil Price Information Service. Cinquagrana believes this bill would have little effect and that foreign governments would just ignore any lawsuit. If it becomes law, the U.S. Attorney General could sue OPEC and its individual members in federal court for oil price manipulation. It's a lot more fun to blame somebody, whether it's OPEC whether it's oil companies, as they've done, it's a lot more fun to blame someone for high prices rather than look inward. Daniel Turner is the founder of Power the Future. Turner says letting there be more domestic production is the real answer. Currently, the average national gas price is around $4.25. I don't agree that it's uh, completely useless. Gene Bird is an international disputes lawyer at Fisher Broys. Bird says the threat of legal action itself would have a political impact on foreign governments and influence them to lower or raise supply. It would be up to the United States government whether to bring an action 
action or not. It may take a long, long time before actually an action is brought. Uh, Department of Justice does not move very, uh, very quick. Now that the bill has passed the committee level, it must pass the full Senate, then the House, and then the president himself would have to sign it for it to become law. Faye Quarter, NTD News. Yesterday, the European Union proposed banning all Russian oil imports. That's a bold move. But one member country, Hungary, isn't going along with the plan. It says it would put its citizens' energy security at risk. It will only agree to the ban if there's an exemption for Russian crude oil delivered through pipelines. The EU proposed banning Russian crude in six months and refined oil by the end of the year. But all 27 EU countries have to agree to it in order for it to take effect. And it's not just Hungary. Slovakia, the Czech Republic and Bulgaria all want more time. This means the oil import ban could be in trouble. Hungary got 60% of its oil from Russia in 2020, Slovakia even more. It gets almost all of its oil from Russia. And with us live is energy expert and partner at Intelligence Quarterly, Tracy Shukart. Tracy, great to see you. Great to be back, thank you. Still a lot of uncertainty in the energy world, Tracy. Should we be worried? Well, I, I mean, certainly the EU can wean itself off of Russian oil a lot faster than it could, say, for Russian gas. That said, as you pointed out, there are several countries, such as Hungary and Slovakia, asking for exemptions. So this movement to have an embargo against European uh, Russian oil imports um, might not be as impactful as they hope. And I think it's probably going to be stretched out over a longer time horizon than expected. You think this new NOPEC bill is going to help reduce prices here in the States? I think this, I will try to put this gently and say, um, it must take a lot of effort to make energy policy this bad. This NOPEC bill has been up time and time again, probably for the last decade. This is the first time it's actually passed through the Senate. That doesn't mean it's passed through uh, the United States government. That said, is at this juncture, what we do not want to do is our foreign policy is kind of a disaster, and we have not made friends right now with uh, the MENA countries. And so do we want to exacerbate those relationships right now for no reason? And the answer is probably no. So do I think this is a good policy right now? Absolutely not. In fact, in uh, 2020, uh, the U.S. helped facilitate the uh, OPEC plus alliance after it fell apart um, right before COVID um, and said that the U.S. will do what it can to help balance the markets, which they haven't done yet. So they're not fulfilling, the United States is not fulfilling their obligations. And I think this particular piece of legislation probably will not get passed all the way through, but it is definitely not uh, right for this apparent time in looking at foreign relations right now. 
we see kind of tensions around the world and, and kind of trade, I don't know, disputes, but concerns about either energy security, food security. Are you expecting more um, protectionism in this space, maybe export bans? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's going to be and that is going to exacerbate the, the current problem. Right. So we're already seeing countries banning such as like palm oil exports. Right. And we're seeing so we're going to see these energy protectionist policies in sort of these middle countries that are producing a lot of these commodities while we see the West seeking, seemingly not understanding where they are right now and where they are in, in this particular uh, supply chain. Mm, it's been incredible. Tracy Shukart, Intelligence Quarterly. Appreciate it. Thank you. It seems like Elon Musk is getting some help from friends and investors for his Twitter takeover. Recent SEC filing shows Musk securing over $7 billion. Billionaire Larry Ellison of database firm Oracle giving $1 billion to Musk's initiative. Venture capital firm Sequoia is adding $800 million. And the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, Binance, giving half a billion. Musk is likely to serve as the temporary CEO of Twitter for at least a few months after the takeover, as according to CNBC. Musk is also calling for an investigation into 26 organizations that have pressured U.S. companies to boycott Twitter. They reportedly sent a joint letter to companies like Coca-Cola, Kraft and Disney and urged them not to advertise on the platform under Musk. So who sent the letter and what does it say? Here's Anthony's Don Ma. The letter's focus is on Musk's vision of Twitter. He says he wants Twitter to have more free speech. But groups that wrote the letter claim Musk intends to provide a megaphone to extremists under the guise of free speech. And they urged several American companies to boycott Musk's Twitter. Organizations that sent the letter include Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, Narrow Pro-Choice America, and Gender Equity Policy Institute, among others. Jesse Benal at Benal Law Group says it's not a coincidence that these organizations are all left-leaning. There's 100% a, um, an agenda of these organizations. They all are, are very hardcore left-wing organizations that want to, uh, they, they want to silence the voices of their opponents. And that's something that is really dangerous for Americans. Another group, Accountable Tech, is led by a former foreign policy spokesman for Hillary Clinton's campaign. The executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy says these groups are trying to stop Musk from changing Twitter. I believe these organizations don't want Elon Musk or anybody else to restore freedom of speech to Twitter, period. Because they, they find it, it uh, it's uh, going to be harmful to their agenda. The letter is saying that those who advertise on Musk's Twitter risk association with the platform with increased misinformation, conspiracy theories, and hate. Professor of Media Dom Caristi at Ball State University doesn't share Gaffney and Banal's view, but he still doesn't agree with the letter saying Musk's Twitter will have more hate. I also don't think you're going to see a massive increase in the amount of hate speech that's going on Twitter. The idea that the minute that Elon Musk would take this platform over, all of a sudden, all kinds of new things would go into effect. 
I think is unrealistic. Musk identifies himself as a free speech absolutist. He defines free speech as that of which matches the law. He says he's against censorship that goes far beyond the law. Don Ma, NTD News. An attorney's general from Louisiana and Missouri just filed a lawsuit against President Biden and top White House officials, accusing them of colluding with social media giants like Twitter and Facebook to censor and suppress free speech. Keep you updated. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is making headlines. She conceded yesterday that President Biden's $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan stimulus bill did contribute to inflation. Here she is with the Wall Street Journal. Inflation is a matter of demand and supply, and the spending that was undertaken um, in the American Rescue Plan did um, feed demand. I do think it was justified and appropriate at the time, given the risks that the economy faced. Yellen defended the pandemic spending saying the Biden administration was trying to avoid a sharp economic downturn and support the labor market. Inflation was an unintended consequence, she says. President Biden signed the American Rescue Plan a couple months after taking office. Recent polls from NBC and Emerson College found that nearly 40% of Americans blame Biden's policies for today's high inflation. As for the future, Yellen said the outlook is uncertain, but she anticipates solid growth and a potential soft landing for the U.S. economy. And productivity for U.S. workers plunged in the first quarter this year by 7.5%. That's the biggest decline in over seven decades, according to a new Labor Department report today. The number measures how much output workers produce each hour. It can be pretty volatile. In the fourth quarter last year, it rose 6.3%. But productivity is still down compared to the same period last year, it doesn't mean workers are being paid less, though. Labor costs rose nearly 12% in the first quarter. That's still not enough to keep up with inflation. Real compensation is down 1.4% from the same period last year. Separate report shows high wages are starting to hurt businesses and workers. That's from global outplacement firm Challenger, Gray and Christmas. It says last month U.S. firms announced 14% more job cuts led by leisure and hospitality. Government is now expected to release the April jobs report tomorrow. We'll have in-depth analysis. Make sure you're there. And bad day on Wall Street today, too, after some volatile trading. All three indexes wiped out their gains from yesterday and lost some. The Dow tanked 1,063 points, 3 and 1 tenth of a percent. S&P lost 153 points, 3 and 6 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq fell 647 points, 5 percent today. Here's Vested Chief Economist Milton Azradi. Volatility means that the market is unsure where things are going. And we have a lot of uh, tension in, in terms of the outlook. We had a very bad first quarter. There was a lot of arguments to say that it's technical and that the economy is not in, in recession. But that's only one factor. Um, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, which, of course, weighs on all financial prices. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of concern that the inflation and the Federal Reserve's reaction to the inflation will precipitate a recession uh, out in a, f- a few months from now, maybe a few quarters from now. But nonetheless, all these things are weighing on the market. 
Uh, and on, on the other side, profits look good. So that's making the market move up. So what you have in terms of market participants is people saying, I'm afraid and I'm going to get out. And I'm afraid I'm going to miss the upturn on the profits I'm going to get in. And uh, the market, rather than find a nice mean in between, vi uh, vibrates effectively between these fears and these hopes. Have you ever seen a, a, an environment like this before in your trading career? Oh, yes, uh, frequently, especially when you have a situation like this where the economic fundamentals are questionable, the inflation is very real, and then you have a strong policy move from the other side, in this case by the Federal Reserve. Where do you think things are going to go? I think what we're going to see is that is that the market is going to remain volatile until this clarifies. And unfortunately, uh, I think it's going to clarify itself by uh, creating a recession. And I would say 12 to 18 months out, that's my fearless forecast, uh, 12 to 18 months out, either because the Federal Reserve acts forcefully against the inflation and the rise in interest rates and the restraint of credit causes the recession, or if the Fed doesn't act, then the inflation itself will cause a recession. Are there any safe investments? <laughs> uh, well, um, I would suggest that anybody who thinks they might need the money in the next three to five years go to cash in this environment. But if you can wait, I think uh, the mar staying in the market is probably a good thing if you don't won't need the money for the next three to five years. Because timing these things, as we've seen in the volatility of the last few days, timing these things is impossible. Milton Ezradi, vested. Thanks as always, Milton. Thank you. And 2021 was a big year for bankers in Wall Street, seeing record bonuses. This year, though, things are looking kind of different. Entities Phil Zoe reports. In 2021, Wall Street gave out bonuses totaling a record $45 billion, which was 20% higher than the year before. Workers in the securities industry average a quarter million dollars on their bonus check. But as bank profits drop this year, things are changing. They're expected to go down dramatically over this coming year. Bonuses for underwriters at investment banks may drop up to 40% because there are fewer deals being made. David Delisle has been a financial advisor and marketing director for the past 20 years. Most recently, he authored a new book called The Golden Quest, which educates kids and adults about finance. As we start to get to back to pre-COVID times, a lot of this sort of craziness that we've seen the last few years, we're starting to see a, a, a movement back to more normal times, more normal rates. Big U.S. banks like Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan reported first quarter profits that were 40 percent lower than the same time last year. On a positive note, sales and trading divisions that struggled throughout the pandemic may rebound this year, taking advantage of market uncertainty. Once you start looking with larger time horizons, you start becoming more conservative and realizing that there's there's a bit of an easier way and it's, you know, rather than trying to beat the markets, just try to participate in the markets and average the markets. Traders are expected to get a 5% to 20% bump in bonuses. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. An Uber reported earnings late yesterday. It lost nearly $6 billion in the last quarter, mostly from its investments in other firms, including China's ride-hailing giant Didi and Southeast Asia's tech firm Grab. 
The stocks of both companies have plummeted since they went public in the U.S. last year. Didi lost 88%, Grab lost 76%. Meanwhile, Didi says it's facing an investigation from the SEC about its disastrous IPO on the New York Stock Exchange last year. Yesterday, the SEC expanded its list of firms that could be delisted from the United States, adding J- China's JD.com, China Petroleum, and Chemical Corp., among others. The U.S. is trying to remove foreign firms from American exchanges if they don't comply with American auditing standards for three years in a row. China and Russia are planning to promote their own payment systems in each other's countries. It's according to Russian news agency TASS. An expert says this will push the two countries closer. It could be an early sign of financial decoupling between Russia and China and the West. Russian banks have been isolated from the global financial system as a result of Western sanctions over the Ukraine conflict. The few options left for Russians are Russia's own Mir and China's Union Pay. Russian banks are now opening more bank cards with Union Pay from China. Bank expert Bart Kohler at PayUnity says this means Western sanctions will only further solidify the ties between Chinese and Russian banking systems, and it could be difficult to unwind. Kohler also says this could begin to hurt profits for Western banks, who may never see those transactions return. And still to come, stay with us. Facebook parent company Meta opening its first physical store to sell virtual reality gadgets. Airbnb cracking down on parties this summer with new rules after a deadly party last month. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Walgreens said today it's reached a nearly $700 million settlement with Florida to resolve claims that the pharmacy chain exacerbated an opioid epidemic in Florida. The settlement includes $620 million to be paid to Florida over 18 years, plus $63 million in legal fees. Florida is the first state to settle its opioid claims against major pharmacy chains Walgreens and CVS, although Walgreens did not admit to wrongdoing. Florida has recovered more than $3.6 billion in opioid litigation against drug makers, distributors, and pharmacies. We'll spend most of the money on efforts to mitigate the opioid crisis still happening in the state. And the party's over. Airbnb says the company is putting strict new rules in place to crack down on unauthorized parties at rental properties during the summer holidays. On Wednesday, Airbnb said users without a history of positive reviews will not be allowed to book a home for only one night. Bookers will also have to confirm they understand the company can take legal action for breaking the rules. The restrictions come after two teens were killed at a large party held last month at a property in Pittsburgh rented through Airbnb where many of the guests were minors. Airbnb says the new rules will be in place for the Memorial Day weekend as well as the 4th of July. And Russia is one of the largest producers of buckwheat. But the invasion of Ukraine has complicated efforts of other countries to obtain the export. And these Andrew Thomas is more on how the holdup is impacting Japan. 
Restaurant owner Ryu Ishihara will soon be raising prices on his soba noodles for the first time in nearly a decade, as rising costs and Russia's invasion of Ukraine take a toll. From COVID-19 and now with this war, I'm wondering when it will all end. I first thought it would all be over in six months, but there are no signs of an end. I'm really worried. A good part of the buckwheat that goes into the noodles comes from Russia, the world's top buckwheat producer. Russian buckwheat can still be imported for now, but instability and shipping disruptions have hampered supply. Because of the economic sanctions, such as Russia being removed from SWIFT banking system and some shipping companies putting a halt on its cargo ships departing and arriving in Russian ports, there's been a disruption on logistics. As a result, there's been a delay in the arrival of buckwheat seeds to Japan. Soba is famous as a cheap meal served cold or hot, often slurped quickly by workers and students. Ishihara's prices run from $2.30 up to $3.90, with add-ons like tempura and rice boosting the cost. It depends on how often I will come, but I hope the price stays around 500 yen. Despite Soba's iconic status, Japan produced only 42 percent of its buckwheat needs in 2020. That's according to the Japan Soba Association. The Agriculture Ministry says that the gap is filled by imports, with Russia being the third largest source of buckwheat from 2018. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A Facebook parent company Meta announced its first physical store this week called the Meta Store. It's where you can buy and try out virtual reality headsets and other gadgets as the company tries to take the metaverse mainstream. The metaverse is a virtual space where people interact, work and play. Meta's investing in it big time, adding new features to hardware devices to access the virtual world. Last month it said it would start testing tools for selling digital assets and experiences in its virtual reality platform. The new store is located at Meta's campus in Burlingame, California and opens next Monday. That's the latest from the NTD business team. Myself, Paul Graney, can still catch NTD Evening News. That's with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there, please. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.